you know what the penalty for stealing is? An article came out of the Arkansas Gazette, July 15th, 1823. William Davis was tried before the circuit court on charges of stealing a number of articles from a boat belonging to the Dwight Mission Establishment. The charges, it said, the article reported, have been fully proven. The jury found a verdict of guilty. The sentence of the court was pronounced on Wednesday morning that the prisoner received 25 lashes on his bare back. During Elizabethan times, a thief could have his hands placed in a stockade in order to have their fingers broken or their hands cut off if they had been found guilty. In Ohio, when the value of the item stolen lands between $1,000 and no more than $7,500, it's punishable uh, by a 6 to 18-month sentence and a 5000 at most, $5,000 fine. But sometimes the consequences go beyond the law. Just three weeks ago, two criminals were trying to siphon gas from a tour bus, but it was so dark neither one of them could see uh, where they were putting their mouth, and they accidentally hooked up to the sewage tank. <laughs> I just want to say, as the church, you're the worst. <laughs> the Laverton police tweeted about the incident. Hey, y'all, we're looking into this one and following our nose from some leads. Hoping to crack the case. That's rough. This this morning with Joshua and the Israelites, as we follow them, they walk into the promises of God. What we're going to see is that as you try to walk into the promises of God, sometimes we stop ourselves because of the sin in our lives. And so last week talked about how Israel defeated the impregnable city of Jericho. And if you were not able to be here last week for that, uh, I hope you'll go to our website and check it out. So as we come into this week, they've won their first victory. And while there is an awful lot left to conquer, they felt invincible with overwhelming, with an overwhelming triumph. But there's this ominous note as we leave chapter 6 and move right into chapter 7. There's this ominous note as we begin because we read, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things because Achan took some of them. So that's how we start the very next chapter. So just tuck that in the back of your minds for for a moment because no one knows that that has yet happened yet. Well, let me say it another way. Almost nobody knows because God noticed and his anger burned against the whole nation of Israel. So hear the story uh, this way. The great walled city of Jericho just fell before Israel. Miraculously, the words mean that the walls uh, fell out as if somebody was in the middle of the city pushing them out. It became the entryway for the Israelites into the city to defeat them. In verse 2, it says that now that that battle is over, uh, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said to him, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So Ai is a city that's about 15 miles from Jericho. Spies were sent to check things out, and they came back, and they said, listen, this is going to be so easy. Seriously, Joshua, give most of the guys a rest and and just send part of the army. Verse 4, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. 
and they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. I don't know if you can imagine how disappointing, how surprising and disappointing this would be for them. They had just defeated this crazy walled city that nobody could ever beat. And with God's help, they took it down. But this time, they were up against a much smaller army, and they were routed. I mean, they thought they couldn't be defeated. The enemy thought they couldn't be defeated. And yet 36 Israelites died in the battle. They'd conquered the city of Jericho without a single casualty. And now this little town that doesn't even have a stoplight in it, you know, kills 36 of their best military men. I mean, the Israelites couldn't understand this defeat. Why would God let them lose? The people were terrified. The Bible says their hearts melted. Joshua became so upset. Verse 6, he tears his clothes and falls face down on the ground and stays there until evening. And the elders of Israel do the very same thing. And then Joshua says in verse 7, God, why did you let this happen? Why did you bring your people this far only to abandon them? You know what? Maybe we should have, st maybe we should have stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. Verse 9. God, you know we're going to be a laughing stock to our enemies. Once they hear that you've abandoned us, not only are we going to be a laughing stock, we are doomed. We will be annihilated by them. And this is how God responds. Joshua says his piece and in verse 10. God says, Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what's racing through Joshua's mind at this point because he's hearing this. For the first time, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And I wonder if racing through his mind is what God told them right before they marched against Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, God said this, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. In verse 18, he says, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel, the, the whole camp of Israel, Israel? Wow. <laughs> it's easy for me to say. Otherwise, you will make the whole camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring about trouble on it. All of the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury, right? Uh, someone did something. Joshua knows this. Somebody did something. He still doesn't know who or what. But remember, we know because verse 1 said... Uh, Achan took some of the articles, and God's anger burned against them. So when you read further, what you find out is that Achan had stolen a beautiful robe, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold that weighs about one pound. Honestly, isn't it kind of surprising that not more people did that? Think about it. You're walking around a wealthy city. All the citizens are gone, but all their stuff is left behind. The temptation had to be strong. A weapon here, little jewelry there, cut glass, silver tea sets, Armani suits, Gucci handbags. There's no guards down at the bank. The table stood unattended at the marketplace. And you know, 
you know somebody had an authentic Ohio State football helmet, and I'm telling you right now, I've always wanted one of those. Temptation just had to be everywhere around them. Maybe you heard about the preacher who was trying to lose weight, and he swore off red meat and potato chips and all sweets, and he came into the office one morning with a box of donuts, a dozen donuts, and his ministry assistant said, I thought you said you were trying to lose weight, and he said, I am. But the Lord told me this morning he wanted me to buy these donuts. She said, really, how's that? He goes, on the way to the office, I knew I was going to pass that bakery. And I prayed, Lord, if you want me to buy a dozen donuts this morning, make there be a parking space right in front of the bakery. <laughs> he said, sure enough, on my eighth trip around the block, <laughs> there was... Listen, it's so easy to rationalize, right? At is it not easy to rationalize at times? That's what Achan did. He saw the wealth. He picked up a few things. It's not that big of a deal, right? This morning's lesson is about sin, and it's a word we don't use much anymore. And I'm going to tell you right now, you are not going to like what I've got to say. And I'm telling you that in advance so that when I hit something that you don't like, I told you you're not going to like it. All right, I just want you to be ready for that. I've already warned you. Lady once cornered Billy Graham and criticized him for preaching an entire series on sin. And she said, after all, sin in the life of a believer is different from sin in the life of an unsaved person. And Billy Graham said, you're right, it's worse. We need to pay attention because it seems we want to downplay the harmfulness, the consequences of it. And I don't know anyone who wants to build a house at the base of Mount St. Helens. How many people are standing in line to buy real estate in Afghanistan? Who wants to, who wants to spend their vacation on a houseboat 100 yards upstream from Niagara Falls? Who water skis on the Amazon River over a school of hungry piranha? And yet we treat sin as if the consequences won't be that Great. This passage gives us five lessons about sins and how it affects our ability to live in God's promises. And I'm telling you, any one of these five, if they hit, one of them may hit you sideways. It could be the next step in your faith. So let's check these out. Lesson number one, first thing we need to know is when I sin, God knows about it. When we sin, God knows. And I don't know how you picture this. I kind of see Aiken in his tent as he covers up the good, stomping down the dirt, a little chuckle to himself. You know, when God said he'd give us every place upon which we'd set our foot, I kind of like this place. It's got the stuff I want. And maybe sure he, may, he, maybe he made sure his bed was right over top of where he had hidden the treasure. And he may have been thinking to himself, this is probably the most comfortable bed I've ever slept on in my whole entire life. You know, because he's got this stuff. No one will ever know. You ever think that? No one will ever know what I have just done, what I'm about to do, what I'm planning to do. And yet verse 1 tells us that God does know. And we need to be aware of that. Verse 11 tells us that Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Listen, and it's not hard to see Aiken's side of it. It couldn't have been that much. What's one robe? What's a little silver? What's a few ounces of gold? God can spare that stuff. And by the way, is he wrong? Can God spare that? Of course God can spare that. But that's not the point. God meant what he said. 
And if we flippantly disregard the commands of God, we are heading for trouble. Maybe sooner, maybe later. But ultimately, sin will destroy those who do not walk away from it. Which takes us right to lesson two. You ready? When I sin, God's blessings stop. In my life, God's blessings stop when sin is part of who I am. All the way back in Joshua chapter 1, God made this promise to Joshua. I will be with you wherever you go. But look at the last verse in chapter 6. It says, right before they go to Ai, the Lord was with Joshua. All right? Do you realize what's going on in verses 6 to 10? Remember I tell you Joshua's face down on the ground and he's throwing dirt. Listen, he's not just blowing a gasket because they've lost a battle. Joshua knows God is no longer with them. He already knows that. Joshua knows the blessing of God has stopped. How else would a handful of soldiers from Ai defeat uh, the Israel except that the God of Israel has left them? Verse 12, that's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they've been made liable to destruction. I won't be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. During the Civil War, several well-meaning preachers from the northern states visited President Lincoln. And at the time, the war was hanging in the balance. They were trying to comfort him, trying to encourage him. And they, they said, victory for the north will come, Mr. President. The Lord is on our side. And maybe you've heard his response, because Abraham Lincoln said, gentlemen, I think we've got it backwards. We better go back and pray that we're on God's side rather than assuming that he's on ours. And that's what Joshua is now wondering because of what's going on, which leads to lesson three. When I sin, others are affected. It's not just that God's blessings stop in my life, but my sin has the ability to affect those around me. People will say this, and maybe you've said this. Hey, listen, I'm only hurting myself, right? You heard that? You said that? We all know it's not true, right? Listen, we... We say that to make ourselves feel okay, but is it okay to admit the truth in this room while we're together? We all know that's a lie, right? We're not just hurting ourselves. In a family, when there's abuse or addiction or unfaithfulness, everyone in the family is devastated. And most likely that becomes a cycle that somebody has to break. It's not just you. In a nation where there's a decline in values, where there's a breakdown in families, immorality, we're seeing how that affects people in our country. Listen, who pays to keep people in prison? Who pays when an employee doesn't show up for work because they've got a hangover? A driver is drunk, and his sin affects others. In 2017, 19% of children, 14 and younger, so we're not talking about drivers. These are riders in a car, passengers in a car, who were killed in motor vehicle crashes, Alcohol was involved in those instances, 19%. How many times has a juicy piece of gossip flowed through your phone which assassinates someone's character, rips apart their reputation? And listen, sin in the church hurts everybody too. Immoral leaders, divisive cliques, apathy. I've been talking recently to too many people in too many churches that at one time, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, were flourishing, making a difference for the sake of the kingdom. 
who are about to close their doors. Sin in the camp weakens the army in the field. And because of Achan's sin, verse 5 says that 36 soldiers died. We cannot say, listen, I realize what I'm doing is wrong, but it's, I'm the only one who's going to be impacted by this. It's not true. Lesson four, and you're not going to like this, but when I sin, punishment is required. There's punishment that comes with sin. In verse 14, we read, in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The Lord choose, the, the tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Don't you think it seems safe to hide within a nation <laughs> of people? I mean, who's going to notice one person in a whole nation, right? Verse 15, whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Verse 16 says, the very next day Joshua did as God commanded and the whole nation was assembled. Verse 17 says, the tribe of Judah came forward and I wonder if Achan swallowed hard. Zerahite clan was chosen and sweat broke out on his forehead. Family of Zimri was chosen, and his hands began to shake. And verse 18 said that Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan was chosen. And his knees buckled, and he fell to the ground. And in verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide this from me. And Achan said, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. And then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the gold, or the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over, uh, over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. All of Israel had been affected by his disobedience. So all of Israel would participate in his punishment and judgment. <laughs> it is part of God's divine nature that sin cannot go unpunished. And I don't know when you read stories like this, if this question ever runs through your mind, but does it seem unfair to you that his whole family was punished, that they were put to death as well? Does anybody, what it, the, the, everybody, his animals, his kids, everybody that was part of his family, is that, does that seem unfair to you? Because when I think of that question, part of what I wonder my, to myself is, what did God know that we don't, even reading the story in hindsight? What is it that he knew was going on that we don't? Because maybe Achan's family had been aware of what he had done. Or God may have known that they would stir up trouble later for God, uh, uh, later on by blaming him for Achan's death. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, how unfair was God to, to my father Achan? He didn't deserve what 
what he got? Why would God do something so harsh for such a little thing? God may have been so harsh to eliminate future problems, but to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, God wanted to be very clear about just how serious it is to willingly, intentionally disregard his commands. Even in the New Testament, we're reminded in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. In Hebrews chapter 2, every violation and disobedience receives its just punishment. Listen, we can be forgiven of a sin and still have to deal with the consequences of the sin. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Achan repented? It, it seems like he did. I mean, he, he confessed his sin. He told where it was hidden when he was confronted with it. He confessed. He told where it was hidden. So let me ask you this. Do you think God sent him to hell? Now, this isn't the Heisman. We don't get a vote. I don't, I, I, and obviously we can't know for sure. So I'm not asking you to vote on the issue. Uh, but I, I'm not, my guess would be no. God kept his word and had the guilty person family executed. But that doesn't mean that he was lost forever. Listen, we can be totally forgiven and yet still deal with the effects here. A broken relationship, shattered health, financial disaster. Sin has consequences. If sin wasn't a big deal, then why did Jesus go to the cross? And that's not the end of the story, by the way. Here's the last lesson. God's anger at my sin does not last forever, which takes us into Joshua chapter 8, by the way, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered them into the hand, I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You will do to them and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you, you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So that day God gave Israel their second decisive victory as he continued to lead them as they reclaimed, as they claimed the promised land. What God chose in the Old Testament, I just want to make sure we all get today is still true in our lives today because in 1 John 1, so all the way at the other end of the Bible and the, the end of the New Testament, the Apostle John writes this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if there is anyone in the room who is thinking to themselves right now, I, I'm glad I don't struggle with this, but I'm sure glad so-and-so is here to hear this today. Boy, I wish so. I'm going to have to get so-and-so to listen to this online. They're not here today, of course. If you're thinking this is you, if you claim to be without sin, if you think you don't struggle, or if you look around the room and you think there's anyone in this room who doesn't struggle with sin, you're fooling yourself about you and about them. But if we will confess our sins, if we will own up, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's why our time of communion is so important. I hope it's obvious that God is with us every day. And every day you have the opportunity. why every morning I stop. I spend time with God. 
Search my heart, know my ways, not just what people see, but you know what's in my mind, you know what's in my heart. Please, listen, he's with us every day. We have this chance to open up our life to him and ask him to make us more like him, which means that there's part of our lives that needs to go. And so we have this chance every day, but if we get so off track that we don't do that, if we get so off track that we forget and we pr- then we begin to think that maybe we don't struggle or we forget or whatever, every seven days we are reminded, you are never more than seven days away from being reminded through our time of communion and when we hold the bread in our hands that it reminds us of the body of Jesus broken on the cross, that when we hold in our hands the juice that reminds us of his blood, we are never more than seven days from being reminded that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're never more than seven days away from being reminded that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I love the way the Living Bible says it. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. And so as we come to a time of communion, especially with this concept of sin and what happened in the life of the Israelites and what happens in our lives, so fresh in our minds, it's important that when we come together, we don't just remember that Jesus died on a cross. We remember why Jesus died on the cross. Let's go to him. God, thank you for this reminder. Your word tells us that the stories that we read are there to encourage us and remind us because we don't want to repeat the mistakes that others have made. And yet, God, we know we struggle with sin just as surely as Achan did in that day and people have every day in between. We still do today. We still do. And as we come to this time of communion, Each of us gets to say, I still do. And we know there have been times in the last seven days when, God, we shined like the kingdom of God on earth. We were like stars in a dark sky. And, God, there were other moments where our actions did not reflect your kingdom. people saw that. There were moments when our attitudes and our reasoning did not reflect your kingdom. And maybe no one caught that, but you did. Because you watch your children, because you love us. And so, God, we come before you this morning confessing that we are people who struggle with sin. God, we are grateful for your forgiveness and that we have a Father who loves us so much that he would be proactive. And so we remember now what you did on our behalf. And God, as we take this time to remember and reflect on Jesus' death for our sins, we pray that you will cleanse our hearts, make us pure again before you, that people might see you when they look at us. And we pray this through your son, Jesus.